Well, welcome back, everyone. This is Doug Flutie. This is the Flutie Flakes cast. Thanks again for joining me. And uh, the season is winding up or wound up in the Super Bowl champions, L.A. Rams. Uh, phenomenal win. Great job in the last minutes of the game. And uh, congratulations to Matt Matthew. We figured that out this week to call him Matthew Stafford and the L.A. Rams in a Super Bowl championship. I had a little bit busy on a personal note, busy week out there at Super Bowl. I played a little golf with Andre Reed and a few guys. And I, I would go to these receptions where I thought, you know, it was a big deal. They were hiring me to come to a reception. And I'm like low man on the total pole. I was with, there's guys like Joe Montana and Ray Lewis and Julian Edelman and all, all the guys, Teddy Bruschi. Um, so much fun. It's kind of like a big class reunion when you get out there at Super Bowl and bounce around a little bit and see everybody, see all the faces. I um, also had my flag football game I do annually. Um, I wound up uh, losing that game, got very frustrated, got a little irritated because I, I felt like I had less talent on my team, but it was a blast. 76 to 70, we start lighting it up. Yeah. The thing in flag football, it, it's not, it's easy to score. It doesn't matter who's on you. It's coming up with that one big stop to win the game, and we couldn't do it. So that was a blast. Do my annual, that basically is a fundraiser for Wounded Warriors, something I've done for 22 years and have so much fun doing. Uh, I am 59 years old and I was feeling it. I'm like, um, it, it's getting time that I might have to turn the page when slinging it around and go over and be an, one of those honorary coaches on the sideline and just watch. Um, it was a fun takeaway watching the game. I, I just, I was kind of torn between I love Joe Burrow and I love his family. I met them way back uh, at Heisman week. And ever since I've followed his career closely and coming off the injury and getting back to where he has. And uh, the one thing that bothered me a little bit uh, was, yeah, the Joe cool, you know, the, the Joe Namath thing of predicting a win and all that and being out front and center and, the bravado. I, I think you got to tone that down just a little. You don't want to, I, I, I love the confidence. There's no doubt about that. Just uh, tone that down a little bit and just go win football games. I thought he played great. I thought, I thought for sure because of the pass rush of the Rams that, that he may get hit and fumble once that he may throw a bad interception. He, one of the plays, he did an amazing job of hanging on the ball and taking the sack. Um, and then he did get sacked a handful of times because of the pass rush, but never, never turned the ball over, never did that bad turnover that could have changed the game, put himself in a position to win. Um, it was third and one, and you got two shots to get that first down. I wish they had run the ball again on fourth down just to get it, even though the clock's going to run on them or lose a timeout. You, 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 the game is over if you don't convert. Run your best play to convert. And uh, it didn't happen for him. Uh, on the flip side of that, Matthew Stafford, I can't say enough about uh, the transition of coming from Detroit to L.A. I've talked about it with Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay. It doesn't just happen. You don't just walk into a new city with a new team, new coaches, and light it up and win a championship. It do it's very difficult. You're learning new offense. You're learning new guys. Um, and yeah, he did. He did have a couple of turnovers through two picks. One of them I thought was a bad pick. The other just happened. Um, but because of their defense, they just stayed in the game and played it to the wire. And then when it was all on the line and, and coach coach Vermeil and I will talk about this just a little bit, but it was something that 
that I kind of learned late in my NFL career. Um, you're taught as a quarterback to read coverage. You're taught as a quarterback to go through a progression to uh, one to two to three check down, right? Uh, deep to short, right to left, whatever the read may be. And my argument with that is as you get better at your offense, as you get better at getting through a progression, as you get better at reading coverage, you're only as good as your offense. You're only as good as what the defense decides to let you have. If the linebackers get deep in a zone, you're hitting a check down for three to five yards. I say this with Michael Vick all the time. Michael Vick was at his best when he looked up field at one guy, two guys, and then took off, scrambled to find three, number three or number four, and ended up making a lot of big plays. But as your career goes on and you get better at your offense, instead of scrambling around, and I'm putting myself in the same category where I made a lot of big plays where I would uh, look at the first receiver, primary guy, maybe the secondary guy, and, and start moving and off the scramble make huge plays. Well, that stuff stops happening when you get really good at progression. At some point, it is about the players and not the play. And that goes for having a Randy Moss on your team. At some point, you got to, he may be double covered. You got to throw the ball up and let your guy go make a play. You do not want to walk off that field and say, I didn't give my best player on the field a chance to win the game for me. You want the ball in their hands. And I think that's what happened down the wire. Cooper Cup. Uh, double covered. If he wasn't doubled, he was banged the line of scrimmage by a by a defensive end. Somebody walk out over him, get a jam on him, and then cover him. The rotation of a coverage going his way. Things that normally would just take you off that receiver and you'd go to somebody else. Matthew Stafford started staying on him and say, hey, get open for me. I got to get you the ball. And that's how they won the game. There were tight windows. They were... Uh, sometimes a bracket, sometimes an extra jam, an extra whatever, zone coverage, guys favoring his side. The one play that just absolutely stands out to me was Cooper Cup on an in route. There was a back, uh, I believe it was a back, might have been a tight end, someone on a little hook route in front. And Stafford dropped back and in a normal situation would have looked upfield, not liked it, and just hit that back. What he did was put his eyes on the back, raise his arm, and as the throwing, he just shifted his throwing motion and threw the in route over the middle behind the linebacker's ear, trying to make, and he did make, the linebacker bite on that, that little hook route. He got just the body language of the linebacker moving a couple of steps, and he threw it off his ear with great anticipation, put it in a window. Cooper Cup comes around the linebacker, tight window, catches the ball, big play in the middle of that drive. So I, I, even, even down on the goal line, down on the goal line, I'm thinking, uh, and I've talked about, you don't intentionally run the clock out, but as a side effect, it can happen. Down on the goal line now, first and goal from the one, my mental approach to that would have been four quarterback sneaks. We're in the end zone. He got You get one foot per quarterback sneak, you're in the end zone. And uh, I thought that he did it the first time. I thought he got more than what they gave him. They gave him about a foot, and I thought he got closer to the goal line than that. And I really thought that, that the Rams would run a couple more quarterback sneaks because it does two things. It runs the clock down, and it also gets you inch by inch closer to that goal line, and you're, gonna, you're going to get in. Um, 
but just an amazing job on the back shoulder throw, put it in the perfect spot, great reaction to the ball in the air. And that's execution. That's execution. Coach and I talk a little bit about during the offseason working together. We talk about during – I talk about uh, you go through training camp and you get all that timing thing. You get all those timing routes down and you get very precise at it. Then as the season goes on, you start to uh, – forget about the little nuances of the game and you start game planning and worrying about big picture stuff. And at some point you got to come back to those techniques and disciplines and get that timing down again and really spend time on it. And uh, it was perfect. When the, when the game was on the line, there was no hesitation by Matthew Stafford. He put that ball right where he had to put it ball on back shoulder, snap your shoulders around, catch it. It was a, it was a layup of a touchdown for them but in, it was in just pure execution that they got it done. So congratulations to LA. Congratulations to Rams for getting, uh, taking care of business and, and being able to win it at home. That's pretty cool. Um, I was out, I, I don't know. The vibe in LA is a little different than a lot of NFL cities, but um, it, it was a, a great Super Bowl from top to bottom. Everything was well done um, in a year of COVID that, that the people still managed to go out and enjoy themselves and, and do uh, all the activities of, of Super Bowl and then have an unbelievable Super Bowl game down to the wire, turning around, trying to drive the ball the other way and, and still had a chance to win the game, come up short on fourth and one. But uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the week. I thought it was a great Super Bowl. Actually, I thought the first half was a little slow. I felt like teams kind of felt themselves out. But at some point, that game is on the line. You turn it loose, put the ball in their hands, the hands of your best players, and the Rams came away with a win. Uh, my guest this week will be head coach Dick Vermeil, Super Bowl champion, head coach of the Rams, days with Kurt Warner, on to the Hall of Fame, was inducted this week and the announcement this week. So uh, my guest coming up, Coach Dick Vermeil. <laughs> Hi everyone, I'm Hall of Fame sportscaster Leslie Bissett. And if you love sports the way I do, the people, the passion, then you'll enjoy my podcast, In Conversation, every Thursday. I've drawn from 45 years of covering all sports with people like Billie Jean King and David Duchovny and the merry prankster himself, Bill Walton. I have reached the top of the mountain. I am having a conversation with Leslie Bissett, my hero. So please listen and subscribe wherever you stream your podcasts. Well, I'd like to welcome my guest, Coach Dick Vermeil, uh, just recently inducted into the Hall of Fame, obviously uh, a Super Bowl champion with the Rams, uh, probably a very exciting weekend for him. Coach, thanks for joining me. And what were the, um, first of all, what were the emotions of this weekend for you? Almost overwhelming, uh, it really. I, I heard from so many wonderful friends, coaches and players and owners. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, as you can well imagine, because you've, you've been through some very, very warm experiences in your career yourself. So, you know, it really touches you both physically and emotionally. And uh, to be able to share this kind of an experience then with your own family and your great grandchildren and your grandchildren and everything, it, it, it just keeps growing in the magnitude, how it affects and touches you emotionally. Uh, you know, to, to go into the hall of fame, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of people along the way that, that are, that help you get there, but, uh, what are some of your fondest moments and maybe the pinnacle moments uh, of the career that, that stand out to you? 
Well, you know, I have so many great relationships, Doug, because uh, my career was and my philosophy and my leadership principles were all about surrounding yourself with good people. Mm-hmm. You know, I was so fortunate to do the both as coaches and players and uh, to be able to share this experience with high school kids that I coached. OK, uh, junior college kids that I coached, UCLA Bruins, Stanford guys, uh, my Eagle family here where I live in, in Pennsylvania, my Ram family, who I saw a bunch of them at the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, and my chief family and ownerships, uh, Clark Hunt, you know, and Carl Peterson, who brought me back after I left the Rams to share. We're all sharing in this one experience, you know, and, and I'm the magnet that's pulling them all together again. And it really gives you a good feeling to, to find how much people really care about you. You know, yeah. no, it's amazing. I, and you know that you've experienced it. That's, you know, the one thing guys talk about when they retire is, is the camaraderie of the guys and having everyone together. And I've had some reunions and, you know, you don't miss a beat. It's like you get back with a group of people and everybody assumes their roles, right? You're, you're 20 years older, but you know, this is the leader of the group. This is the class clown of the group. This is the guy that's enjoying yeah. it. I, I tell you, I, no doubt about it. It's fun yeah. when everybody gets back together. Yeah, yeah. I Go ahead. People that call you, you know, Mario Andretti called me. God, that was so exciting to me because I, I grew up in a, a you know, a small time auto racing family and, <laughs> You know, and I know him from Pennsylvania and I have such respect and admiration from outside the football world. And he called me and it, that touched me. Roman Gabriel called wow. me. Roman, you know, I coached Roman as his offensive coordinator, 71 and 72 at the Rams. And I was a young coach that I above my with a position above my talents at that time. And, I, <laughs> you know, and I know that now as I look back on it and I appreciate it so much. Uh, Beverly Schnellenberger. OK, wow. Howard's wife called me. Mm-hmm. God bless her. You know, and Howard broke me into the NFL in 1969. And when these kind of people contact you, it just it just is. It's like I say, overwhelming. Well, I, I have this picture. Of, I was just a little kid watching Roman Gabriel play. And I just have this picture of this tall, long guy slinging the oh, football yeah. around. I, I was I, a Baltimore Colts hell. fan. <laughs> I can tell you that one time I, you know, we threw an interception in the game. Yeah. And after the game and look at, I said, I said, Roman, I don't want you involved in going over there and knocking the hell out of the <laughs> He said, coach, I threw it. I'm going to tackle it. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, I've never, I never get so, uh, I don't know, violent. Like I could take someone, I, I grabbed a guy by the face mask and threw him into the bench in Canada once after throwing the interception. <laughs> I, like I, went to, I got to make the tackle and I'm running at the guy and he yeah. steps out of bounds. Now, like I'm a 120 pound quarterback, right? Like I'm going to hurt. He stepped out of bounds on me. I just wanted to hit him. And, that, <laughs> and that's the feeling when you're a quarterback. Yeah. What I got from watching you coach and, and from what I've heard from other players, um, you know, the, the phrase players coach, I mean, I needed a guy that was positive, wrapped his arm around me. And like, what was your approach to, to dealing with not just quarterbacks, but the guys in general? Well, you know, it made him work, made him sweat on the field, made him happy off the field. You know, mm-hmm. and that was my work the hell out of him. Everyone will tell you uh, that boy, Coach Vermeil worked me way beyond what they expected to be worked. But uh, I learned a long time ago, the only way you get better is to work. And in football, it's a repetition and it takes time, especially the quarterback. I don't know how they get the quarterbacks ready today with the shorter practices and all that kind of stuff and the training camps and 
Yeah. But anyway, I worked them very, very hard on the field and, and treated them like kings off the field. And because that's just my philosophy, especially when you grow up as a high school coach, you know, you really learn a lot about kids. You know, and NFL players, you know this, though, the NFL players are still big kids. They're just bigger and faster and get paid to do, it, you know, and uh, they all appreciate recognition. They all appreciate praise and they all appreciate you being grateful for their participation, you know, and I made sure I stayed that way. That doesn't mean I didn't get on the ass, you know, and, and I learned to better as I really matured, especially after being out of coaching for 14 years, I could no longer coordinate my own offense, coach my own quarterbacks, call my own blaze. I'd been out of it 14 years. So I, I did a good job of designating and delegating responsibilities and then providing a player to that coach in the frame of mind to be coached, you know, and, the discipline and the structure and the organization of the program was in my hands. And I think I did a better job of that when I came back. To you know, you're, you're making a point of working the guys hard. I found that you, you spent all this time in training camp and we'd run routes and I'd have the rhythm down, the timing, the arm strength, the, the, just uh, putting the ball where I want to put it. And then as the season went, you, you were game planning more and you mm -hmm. got away from some of just the individual drills and right. things that made you so precise. Like I was a more accurate thrower and I'd have to, early in the year and then I'd have to get back at it again later in the year to, to re no question. it. Yeah. You know, no, uh, I understand go ahead. that thoroughly and agree with you. Yeah. It yeah. just, uh, yeah. I, and so along those lines, you're saying the, the players, like they, they bring in rookie quarterbacks and they're starting right away. I mean, our day was what you sit for three years and learn, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know it, you know, and I was fortunate that, uh, with all three of my quarterbacks played in the Pro Bowl. All three of them, one of Jaworski was NFC Player of the Year in 80. And, of course, Kurt Warner, we know he's a Hall of Famer and MVP in the Super Bowl and, and Trent Green, two Pro Bowls. Uh, but it wasn't automatic that they were supposed to end up there. They had to work to get there. And, boy, did they ever work. You know, Jaworski, he and I worked together in the off-seasons. In the summertime, we'd get together a couple times a week and work on his fundamentals. I'd be the receiver. I'd stand at the receiving point, have him throw to me in rhythm and all these kind of things. And Trent Green, I was fortunate to have, you know, guys like uh, Al Saunders, you know, and you got the Rams. I had Mike Martz come in there. Nobody has ever made a better contribution to a coaching staff and a team than Mike Martz did in, in 1999, you know, and you need those people. But you as a head coach have got to bring them together and uh, provide an environment which they enjoy working, even though they're working harder and hell and bitching about it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just, uh, you know, the thinking on those lines, I just sit there and say that you don't realize, well, my best years were when I didn't realize what I was doing and I was yeah. just working hard at something and you get all yeah. engulfed. I don't know, Nick Saban talks about um, the regiment and the regime, uh, the process. Right. And, 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 and that's what Mar I just, I marvel at Tom Brady at his age to be able to do that continuously and still work to get better week in and week out. What was your take on Tom and, and his retiring? Well, first off, I was disappointed he retired yeah. because he's such a great example. And there are so many players in the NFL that if they had the mental toughness and structure within their profile as a person, they could have played longer. If the management would allow them, sometimes the management doesn't allow you to play better. How about the left tackle at the Rams, the Super Bowl? You know, he's 40 years old. 
I'm visiting with him in the green room on Thursday night at the honor show. Yeah, what a great guy. His wife was there, you know, and you see him. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's his structure, you know, and even now, Doug, I live in Philadelphia. The media starts telling kids when they ought to retire. The trouble is the kids read the articles, you know, my God, play as long as you can, you know, and, and not because you're milking it for income because you love to play. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was, I, I not, maybe I had different, re- I played till I was 43 yeah. and um, I think I was still trying to prove myself. Yeah. And I think that's why as long, and that's what Tom, you know, Tom talked about it a bunch that, you know, because of where he was drafted and then what he started to accomplish, he was still trying to just stick it in people's face and had that motivation yeah. week in and week out to get better. What was your motivation throughout your career? What, what, what motivated you most? The kids I coach. Yeah. The kids I coach. And as I matured as a coach, I, I learned it was my responsibility to help them be the best they could possibly be. And I never, I, I never thought of a player as a third string player or a second string player. Oh, you're a starter. I treat you different to me, especially in the NFL. Every guy to me was all pro. Mm. It was all pro. And uh, I, some of the kids I cut are the best friends I have today. <laughs> Believe me, you know, and uh, I just, I, I love that part of it. I love to see young kids, young, young players get better, you know, and, uh, Geez, I saw Kevin Carter the other day after the Super Bowl game played for me all three years at the Rams, Will Shields, all five years at the Chiefs. And God, I, you talk about getting motivated or it's just, that's why I miss those people. I miss standing next to them and feeling that I'm a part of them. You talk about what inspires you. Yes, I was always a highly motivated guy. And sort of the underdog in the NFL coming up like I did. But when I stand next to those guys, God, I feel like a million, but I feel like I'm a giant. Yeah. You feel, uh, you, the guy that's an underdog. Uh, I mean, that was my life the whole way that you always, no feel, I think, <laughs> I think that's what, you know, Kurt Warner's story. Shoot. You know, the whole, the movie, the everything with Kurt. I mean, that's, that epitomizes, it epitomizes the underdog story and the American dream and everything else. What were your, um, I don't know. What was your take on Kurt when you first met him and, and how that got started? Well, you know, a friend of ours, myself and John Becker, uh, who worked for me uh, both at uh, U- as UCLA. Uh, we were together at the uh, Rams. We were together. He was in personnel. He coached for me at the Eagles. A friend, Al Ligamule, called and asked us to give Kurt Warner a tryout and work him out and sign him if we could because he was coaching a European NFL team. And we could assign him and then assign him to go play there. Mm-hmm. So we brought him in and worked him out. I like to work out. Kurt will tell you it wasn't spectacular, but I needed players. You know, we'd been, that was a losing this team in football. And at that time, there was no limit on the number of kids you could bring to camp and no limit on the time you had to coach him. So we brought him in and then sent him right away to Europe. And he played up and played well over there. He led him over there and touchdown passes. And he came, he was our third quarterback, Doug, the entire 98 season, our number three, running the opponent's offense. And I would walk off the field saying to myself, you know, this kid could play or else our defense is horse manure. You know, <laughs> he just eats up every day. You know, he's running plays off cards, ripping your defense up with plays off cards. Yeah, right. And you know this, Doug, the defensive coach was always circle where they want you to throw it. 
Well, he wouldn't throw it there because they covered it. And the coaches come over, you know, all upset. And he said, I mean, he was covered. <laughs> he was natural at it. But never did I expect him to uh, be what he ended up being. Yeah. I thought he could play, and I thought he could play well. In the movie, they used the statement I made to him. I remember saying, Kurt, you know, something I really like about you, and I can't wait to find out what it is. Well, he eventually showed me what it was. But if we hadn't given him the opportunity, if Mike Martz and John Ramsdale and Al Saunders and Jim Hennepin hadn't coached them all well on the offense, he would have never ended up being what he was. But what he needed was an opportunity, just like you. Someone had to forget how tall you are and let you play. Yeah, that, You know, I, I used to tell coaches and coaches of my staff and personnel, once I get him in my, don't tell me how slow he is or how fast. I don't care. I want to see if he can play. You know, Cooper Cup's 40 time is 4.62. Okay. Yeah. I ran a four. You know what? The NFL's 40 time on me is like a 4.87. <laughs> I was a 4.5 guy and I was playing pickup basketball my junior year um, at college and pro scouts were in the building and I was over playing, I think it was an intramural basketball league. And the coaches came over and said, hey, Doug, they'd really like to get a 40 time on you. And I said, I'll, I'll do it at halftime. I ran over in my basketball shoes, ran a 40, and came back over and played hoops. Because I figured I'd have a lot more chances to run for them later, and he never yeah. did. So uh, <laughs> that's the 40 time they have. on the, You know, the times, the weights, the, all that stuff. Take that, shove it over here. Can the guy play? You know, I, I just I just love guys that just walk out there. Oh, yeah. you know, with their... I had a number of players on all levels prove that to me. High school level, I had kids, junior college, got at UCLA. And, they, you know, my Eagle team, I think we had 17 free agents sign up for, and play that ended up playing the Super Bowl. 17 of them on that starting 53 guys, you know. So, you know, I love providing those kind of opportunities. It's tougher today on the NFL coach because it's all controlled by how much time you can – be in training camp, how many practices, how many double days, how many contact days, you know, and the size of the roster, it, it makes it tougher. Yeah, we had six preseason games. We had eight weeks yeah. of doubles. We had seven, six weeks of doubles and pads twice a day yeah. hitting hard. And I'm like, these guys, like, I, I go to baseball pitchers in their pitch count. Put a pitch count on an NFL quarterback in training camp when we're going six weeks of doubles. Uh, <laughs> they're they're all wimps, they're coach. Ready. They're all wimps. I know what you're saying. What's going on in your life now? What's uh, family and grandchildren? What you got going on? Well, you know, I've been married 66 years. And from a coach's wife standpoint, she has no equal. She has fed probably 75% of the players I ever coached in our own home. <laughs> you know, and we always had in the offseason, especially in the NFL, we had uh, position days. on. So, all right, Tuesday night, next week, all linebackers and wives. The next week, it's all offensive linemen and wives. We traveled with our big dining room table that's in this house where I'm talking to you from, you know, it would, because it would seat 18 people. And I can't mm. tell you how many times we had to re-glue the wooden chairs together because of the <laughs> 300 pounds. And the other thing is what's so great is you learn so much more about a player outside a meeting room, outside the locker room, off the football field than you would in around. Sometimes you gain real insight to some of these kids in it. I love that experience. I really, really enjoyed that part of it as well. Getting to know them as people. And also, they got to know the old coach. You know, I might bitch and moan and chew their ass on the field, but off the field, they, they get to know me and learn to trust why I'm doing and what I'm doing and, and, and our purpose is to help them be what they had the ability to be. 
no doubt about it. I always find that when you get to know the guys, know their family a little bit, uh, you start to care more about each other and the accountability to each other. And you don't want to let each other down, you know? That's right. But, you know, and that's, that's your motivation. I don't want to let the guy down next to me, you know? Yeah. So some of the best, the, you know, I, I didn't have any NFL championships. I had championships in Canada, but the teams were the closest and, and it's not always the most talented team that wins. There's a com- camaraderie, uh, a chemistry that comes together. Yeah. Um, it's just amazing. So, uh, did you were you were at the game? You, what was your take going down the wire? We'll just finish up with the Super Bowl a little bit. What was your take going down the wire? What did you want to see? I was amazed that he had to go to K- Cooper Cup, and Cooper Cup came through, and Stafford seemed to stick it in there to him, even though he might be double covered or it's tight windows. What was your take down the wire? Well, you know, they had the Hall of Fame guys going in with me and other Hall of Famers on field level in a suite. Mm -hmm. So you really watch the game on the big screens, you know, and, uh, and everything happened down at the end of the game at our end, but I couldn't see anything, but the sidelines covered with people and TV cameras and carts going up and down and getting machines ready to shoot the confetti (laughs) all over that kind of stuff. So I'm watching the screens, but you know, if you're a good football coach in critical situations, Tommy Prothro told me this in 1970 when I became his offensive coordinator. He says, coach, you're calling the plays. He says, in critical situations, all I want you to do is put the hands, put the ball in the hands of our best players. Put the ball. He said, I don't care what play it is. Put the ball in the hands of our best players. And that's what they did. Sean McVay did a beautiful job quarterback did a beautiful job and they put the ball in the hands of the best player. He didn't give a damn what coverage it was. He was going to make sure he gave him an opportunity to win the game. Yeah. And that is, you're just nailing exactly what I'm thinking. As far as when I was in college, I, Tom Coughlin was my office coordinator, taught me read progressions, get through a progression, get the blah, 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 blah. And that's what you're taught all through training camp, all through. But at some point, it's not about the plays. It's about the players. No and you lock into a certain guy. It's like, I don't care if you're double, get loose. I'm giving you a chance to make a play. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Tom Coughlin. Mm. In my career as a football coach, I think he is one of the two finest football coaches that ever coached this game. The other one is Bill Snyder at Kansas State. Mm. In broadcasting for 14 years, I was on a lot of practice fields, and I always went early. And I knew Tom because he was an assistant here. Philadelphia first then became the head coach at Boston College. No one did a better job of being a head football coach than he was at that time. And look at what he did at Jacksonville. Okay, Look at what he did at the Giants. He is the only guilt feeling I have about my position right now as a coach going in the NFL Hall. I'm going in ahead of him. They better put him in. How about Dan Reeves? How about Marty Schottenheimer? How about Mike Holmgren, Mike Shanahan? These guys are more qualified than Dick Vermeil, and I'm sure going to feel better when they all get in. Well, that's a very humbling and a, a great take on all of them. I was very fortunate that I played for Coach. I, I give him all kinds of credit for, for my uh, discipline and starting out my career and giving me the opportunities. Coach, uh, I want to thank you for your time. Awesome catching up and talking with you. It was a fun week. Congratulations on the hall, everything else. Let me tell you something. Just sitting here talking to you just gets my freaking motor 
my pulse rate. As soon as I saw your face, my pulse rate went up to 20 points. Believe me. I, Let's go, Coach. I, 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 play- admire, I admire you. Thank, thank you so much. I play a flag football game every year at Super Bowl, so next year you're coaching it because I lost it down the wire this year, and I, could, I, I don't know. We could have done something different, Coach. I needed you. I needed you. Take care, buddy. <laughs> all right. Take care. I wish you all the best. Bye-bye. Same to you. Bye. Remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on Apple, Pandora, and Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast. All right, it's time to take a look at some Twitter questions, see what you guys want to talk about, what's going on out there. Cliffy, what do we got in the Twitter world? All right, the first question, Doug, is what do you think was the turning point in Super Bowl 56 for the Rams? I think the the number one thing uh, that started to happen in the second half was quarterback pressure. Uh, the pass rush started to to not get to Joe Burrow, but physically get to Joe Burrow, get there and, and, and get some sacks. Uh, they were sliding the line, isolating a linebacker on a back and giving them some space to go in there and go one-on-one and uh, started getting good pressure on the quarterback. And that, that as a quarterback, there, when there is pressure, there's nothing you can do. Only consolation is get rid of the ball and it's either throwing it away for an incompletion or putting it up and taking a chance. And, uh, you know, there's not a lot you can do when that pressure gets you in a hurry. So I thought the Rams did a great job adjusting in the second half and getting that pressure on the quarterback. Final question, Doug. Now that the NFL season is over, how much attention will you give the USFL? I'm excited about USFL. That's, you know, I, I, it's a completely different league. It's going to be all new coaches, all new players, but they're, they're taking the old USFL names and there's some identity there for me. So I think it's a cool thing. I'd love to be a part of it in some way. I may wind up doing a few things, but um, you know, football is football. We all watch people watch spring football, college spring football games. All right. That is basically two hand touch and the coaches just want the thing over with. And it's kind of a formality that they got to do it now. And people still go to that and they'll put 30, 40,000 people in the stands and people watch it on TV. This is going to be good football. It'll be NFL caliber football, pro football in the USFL coming up in the spring. And I can't wait for it to get started. That is it. Well, this is our last episode of the season. Um, I've really enjoyed this experience. It's a little different for me, especially hosting myself. If I have a sidekick that I can work off of that I'm used to, I'm used to being asked the questions. So it's kind of cool for me to, to, to ask the questions and be in this position to talk to some of my heroes over the year. Guys like Archie Manning, Dan Faust, go back to Brett Favre. And all. it's for me, the older guys, the, the nostalgia of a, a Warren Moon talking about CFL days and the old days up there. And I just, it's really, really cool. If, if you had told me 25 years ago, I'd have a chance to sit and talk football with all these legends of the game and to be able to talk about things that, that as a child, I was just in all of these guys, uh, Joe Namath, shoot, you know, it just, my childhood idols to be, to have this opportunity has been just so great for me. So much fun. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Uh, the highlights, I tell you what the highlights for me, talking with the older guys about the good old days and how rough we had it. It's just an old man thing. And it's what we do talking about the locker rooms, no heat, no hot water, uh, whatever it might be, the fields that were a wreck. It's just, um, it's really cool. It's just a, um, you know, soundtrack of my life of talking year by year football. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. 
thank you guys for listening. Those of you that have stayed with me throughout the year, looking forward to do it again next year. And uh, this is Doug Flutie from the Flutie Flakes cast signing off for this year. Uh, and remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on Apple, Pandora, and Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. The Flutie Flakes cast is a part of the SiriusXM podcast network. The executive producer is Tom Crest. The associate producers are Chris Tyler and Cliff Augustin. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. SiriusXM Podcasts.